23, begin reading with verse 17. Let's read together. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, and the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stall, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me walk on my high heels. I want us to read verse 18 and 19 again together. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me walk on my high heels. Let's pray together. Oh, gracious God, we thank you for your power, your spirit, and your word. And Lord, I ask today that you would anoint our congregation and on our ears to hear what the spirit would say unto us today. God, as we take from your word, the Logos, may your Holy Spirit envelop this room in our hearts, captivate our minds, and speak to us, God, a rhema word, a right now in season word. And we thank you, Lord, for removing all distractions, any and every element of fear and doubt and unbelief. And Lord, today we have come and we have assembled together to hear your word. Holy Spirit, speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We find here a powerful story of the prophet Habakkuk in a beautiful text, but in an awful dilemma. You and I, in this current day, we live in such a fast-paced society. We live in such a place where the hustle and bustle and the demands on us are so great that we've even become accustomed to even feeling entitled to everything being readily available in an instant. We have become the microwave and the nanosecond society. We're that generation. We want our food and we want it now. We want our way and we want it now. We want our information and we want it now. We want everything now. This adaptation of lifestyle, however, has bled over into our spiritual life and spiritual processes in which the Lord has cultivated and where he nurtures and and creates within us a, a stability and disciplines in our faith that we can follow after God. And we only learn those processes by going through heaven's process. We seem to only want a church now that ministers to all of our needs and our needs of our entire family, but we want that church now. We want evidence of spiritual processes, but we want our evidence now. We want our blessings now, and we want our way now. Sometimes God does grant us our way. Other times he assures us that he loves us enough to make us wait for his perfect timing. Habakkuk was a a wonderful prophet here in, in our scriptures, but he was desperate for God and for God to come through. Perhaps the only type of people more impatient than you and I in this nanosecond society are prophets. 
For God has already revealed to them in the prophetic and spiritual realm and given them a vision of an expected end and an outcome. But yet while their spirit and their faith see it, they're also confronted with the right now of their humanity and the humanity that surrounds them. Things are getting worse, however, for Pastor Habakkuk. They're not getting better. Sinners are sinning worse. Christians are getting colder. Apathy has now settled in and calloused the hearts and have become the order of the day. There seems to be no revival. There's no renewal. There's no refreshing, only ritual. But we find here, as we greet uh, the prophet Habakkuk in chapter 1, and I want you to turn there with me. Let's go to Habakkuk chapter 1, and we'll read verses 1 through 4 together. We'll begin there. Verse number 1 of chapter 1, and this is the beginning of his story that the Scripture has given us. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. Verse 2, O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out to thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Why do you show me all this iniquity, and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law, your word, is slack, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore, wrong judgment proceedeth. Oh, Habakkuk is right in the midst of a dilemma because God has promised the prophet a great revival. He has told Pastor Habakkuk that things are going to be wonderful. They're going to be great. There's going to be a revival that is that God ushers in and the winds of his spirit will blow and hearts will turn unto the Father. And There's going to be a mighty outpouring of God's spirit. But however, Habakkuk is not living in the vision realm. He is living in the reality realm. And he's seeing much contention, much strife. He has seen the, the righteous even become cold and, and, and lethargic and apathy has now settled in. And of course the heathen is, they're increasing in sin. And now his spirit man, because of the weight of the burden God has placed within his heart, his spirit man is now grieved to the point of great anguish. Scripture records that he reminded God that he had even asked God in violent forms in prayer. He had, he had sought God with great intensity and passion. God, I know that you have promised to do a thing, but I see no evidence. In fact, God, let me give you a great update and download this in the heavenly realm. Things are getting worse. They're not getting better. Christians are getting worse. Heathens are getting worse. Everybody is getting worse. I'm still praying. I'm still believing. I still have faith. But God, the vision is nothing compared to my reality. And God, I'm losing you in the process. I can't find you in midst of the humanity and the sin and the lawlessness and the lack of righteousness around me. God, I'm having trouble finding and seeing you because sin is happening and you're not addressing it. I believe that we all as, uh, as Christians could relate to that in our modern day. It seems that sin is just more abounding and much more tolerable or, or it's being more, we are acting more tolerable and tolerant towards sin 
And preachers have become afraid to call sin, sin, and speak of the righteousness of God, and that this holy word is the standard in which all humans and humankind should live by. This is the standard. It's not our culture. It's not our modern day. It's not the whims of this simple, sinful, and depraved, moralist nature of our culture. No, the Word of God is the standard. And Habakkuk is saying, God, people and things are getting worse, not better. When are you going to bring revival? When are you going to usher in this great move that you have promised me? Everyone, however, can relate to Pastor Habakkuk because he's now at the place he's ready to resign. He's ready to close up shop, ready to shut down the church, and ready to leave. Oh, he has one last effort, and that's this prayer. And he turns, and chapter 2 brings us to a transition. He's now been in the midst of the tension of what God said it would be versus what it feels like. What God promised would happen in contrast to what he's going through. How, he's, how it's going to be glorious, but now it's also painful. What has God promised you, however, that's left you where Habakkuk is? Oh God, why and how long? Amen. We can all relate to that, can't we? I've had, I've had many of those days in my life. Oh God, why and how long? How much longer, God, do I have to believe to where I see improvement? How much longer, God, do I have to pray this prayer? Without you seemingly giving the answer. How much longer God? Oh why? And how long must I pray? Now there's a transition here into chapter 2. Where Habakkuk says uh, in verse 1. And I'm going to read chapters 2. Verses 1 through 4. Just as we did chapter 1. Let's move to the transition of chapter 2. And Habakkuk says. I will stand upon my watch. And set me upon the tower. And will watch to see what he will say unto me. And I will answer what and what I shall answer when I am reproved. Oh, I can tell Brother Habakkuk and I grew up in the same church. Yeah. Yeah, we did because uh, I, I was taught that same thing that we dare not question the Lord or his sovereignty, or unless he strike you with, with condemnation. But oh Habakkuk has reached to the point of desperation. And he's cried out to God and he's saying, God, you're not treating me fair. The law is slack and sin is abounding. And God, things have gotten worse, not better. Everything you've promised, none of it is coming true. Everything I feared seems to be the reality and even growing. He transitions and now he braces himself in chapter 2 for God's response. You know what? I used to struggle that. As again, I grew up in that church that that's apparently he did too, where we were never we were taught to never ever question God, and he braces himself for the reproof and the rebuke of the Lord coming. But you know what? I kept reading the Word of God as I grew in my faith and become an adult, and I kept reading the Word, and I'm reminded of the text where Jesus is there and he's he's almost finished his process, but they're hanging upon the cross. He says, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabathani, which being interpreted means, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know what, people, I have learned that if the very only begotten son of our Lord Jesus Christ could ask her, oh God, why and how long? When are you going to show up? 
When are you going to do it for me? I've learned that if the only begotten of the Son, who is 100% deity and 100% man, can ask him uh, with all of my humanity and frailty, surely I can, uh, I can, he can understand and grant me the grace uh, that I can question God. The issue with questioning God is not his damnation or condemnation for doing such so, for he knows uh, the frailty of our humanity. However, the issue becomes is when you and I are not prepared to handle his answer. Habakkuk braces himself. Chapter 2, verse 1, I will stand upon my watch. I will set up on the tower and I will watch to see what he says to me. The first thing that points uh, that sticks out to me in this passage is that Habakkuk understands that he has to climb higher. He says, I'm going to stand up on the tower. I'm going to set my watch up there. I'm going to climb higher. I'm going to get up to where I can see God answer me. Notice, he says, I'm not going to listen for what God has to say. He says, I'm going to watch for what God has to say. Notice this, that when you and I reach a place of desperation in prayer with God, just as Abraham believed and trusted God, climb of the mountain. He knew that there would be a sacrifice somewhere. And he also was confident that it would not be Isaac, that God had a plan, that God had something he was going to provide. In fact, he even tells the helper, wait here until the boy and I return. He knew that God was going to provide. He knew God was going to answer. Can I tell you, Habakkuk had that same knowing in his life, I'm going to climb up higher to where I can see God. Sometimes you and I just need to start climbing higher to get to a higher plane to where we can see what God is going to do. He praises himself for the answer, for he knows that when God answers, uh, not only do you hear the response, uh, but you can see the effects of it. Uh, oh, I want to encourage you today, if you're in a spiritual process, uh, I'm telling you that God is going to give you visible, tangible evidence uh, that He has heard your cry and He is moving on your behalf uh, and He will make a way for you. Give the Lord a praise. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. He transitioned and He braces Himself. Here's God answers. Chapter 2, verse 2. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain upon the tables, that he may run who readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him. But the just shall live by his faith. Oh, I love this text where God's answer is not a rebuke, but he reminds his son in his faith. He says, listen, son, take the vision, write it down, put it on tablets, make it plain so that all who see it can read it with great fear and reverence that God will do a thing. He tells Habakkuk to etch it in stone, to Place it in stone that it's a non-negotiable. It's going to happen in due time, in due season. It will 
come to pass in his life. You know what? This I believe we're in a season in the body of Christ that we need to start etching some things in stone in our heart and that we grab a hold of God and his word for our life and we boldly declare that and decree that and don't give in. But we have relented. We have come too far to look back. We need to etch some things in stone and trust God for the outcome for he will be faithful to perform with the task that he has begun in you. He will honor his word in your life. Give the Lord praise. Amen and amen. He says, for the vision is yet for an appointed time, that though it tarry, wait for it, for it shall not tarry. It will surely come to pass. Now we notice this dichotomy that the scripture gives us. He's saying, though it wait, uh, though it tarry, wait for it, it's not going to tarry. You know what he's telling us? Your timetable is not my timetable. Time table. I'm looking at your life in the span of eternity. You're looking at your, t- your life in, in the c- confines of humanity. And I'm telling you, your day of process is much shorter than what you realize. That God's doing a great thing and he's going to be faithful to complete it. And he's looking at it and he's telling you in the span of process, this is a short process compared to the weight of the glory that he's going to have on the other side of your struggle and your trouble. Wait for it. Stay strong for the just shall live by his faith. Man and woman of God, let me tell you today that there is hope now and God is for you. He's not against you. If he's given you a word, you've got to keep believing and trusting in God that he will be faithful to you. He's not forgotten you. You're not lost. You're not displaced. God knows where you are and he's wanting to meet your need in your hour of desperation. Give the Lord praise if you believe that today. Amen and amen. The back up here now is in transition. He's heard the word of the Lord. And so he etches it in stone. And he goes back to his prayer closet and reminds himself that he has to correct some things. In chapter 3, we open with another transition. We open with another shift. And we move on to chapter number 3. Chapter number 3 says, And that the Habakkuk praised the prayer of Shiganoth. Now, I understand that that's not a familiar text, but, but, but chapter 3, verse 1 says, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shiganoth. O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the year. In the midst of the years, make it known. And in wrath, remember mercy. Oh, I love this text. I, I, I want to skip down to that last verse we read. I, I want us to, to, to skip down to number two, and then we're going to come back and deal with verse one of chapter three. In verse two, he says, Oh, Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. And in wrath, remember mercy. You remember the lament of Habakkuk in chapter one, where he's fed up with everybody at church? He's fed up with everybody in his family. He's fed up with sin. He's fed up with the lack of move of God's spirit in his life. And, and, and he basically curses everyone and tells God that he's given up on them, that there's no hope, that if God doesn't do it, it's not going to happen. Well, he had that part right. It does take the spirit of God to make anything good happen for the kingdom of God. But he's bringing down wrath. But you can tell that something has shifted in the prophet's heart. He says, oh, God, in wrath, remember mercy. God, in wrath, remember mercy. 
God, all of those people I ask you to bless, all those people I ask you to punish, all those people I prayed down judgment down upon, oh God, remember mercy. For God, I too am in need of your same grace and your same mercy. God, don't punish them. God, don't condemn them. Give them time. Please, Lord, remember mercy. You know what changed the heart of Habakkuk? It's in the preceding verse. Chapter 3, verse 1. It says, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shiganoth. Shiganoth is a musical term. It's a musical term that's translated the crescendo. And that's where everybody gets to play their part. I remember being in, uh, being in band. Boy, I was so excited. Now, I was not overly tall in my younger years. I know that's hard for you to believe. And uh, it, so but I, was, I, I joined the band in sixth grade and when we were eligible. And, and then by seventh grade, I was in marching band, and I played the cymbals. Man, I played them cymbals for all I could too, man. I wore it out. Now, those cymbals were bigger than I were. But boy, in marching band, I'd, I'd march and I'd... I'd Boy, I do it. Man, I've got back muscles still to this day, and it's all from carrying symbols in seventh grade. Hallelujah. Thank you to Mr. Pretty. So it came time for a concert season, marching season. Boy, we were state winners, and man, we were just blessed to be in a great band uh, there in the J.J. Kelly High School, Wise, Virginia. And uh, Dr. Lucius Pretty was my band director. Great, uh, great guy, great band director. Came time for concert season. I was so ready. I thought, man, I don't want to play the cymbals again. And so, so I thought, well, hey, it could be worse. And so, but I mean, I was looking for the drums, but all of the other guys got drums. Might have been because they were tall enough to see or everybody else to see the director, but they got all the parts. And so I, I was so excited. Well, Mr. Pretty came to me one day and he says, Brian, I've got a special part for you. I've got a special. Now, listen, on this final tune, we did about seven tunes. On this final tune, I've got a special part for you. And I thought, yes, Mr. Pretty knows my name. Y'all, I thought I had arrived. He knew I was there. We had about 86 or so in the band. And just the fact that he acknowledged me and knew my name, I was impressed. And so he reaches back behind his back and he has a triangle. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. Thank you. I've got one with compassion. Thank you. One with compassion. And I thought, I have never been so insulted in all my life. I wanted to say... Mr. Pretty, if you had ever attended my church and heard me play the drums, you would let me play the drums and not stick me on a triangle. So I thought, can I at least play the cymbals? He had given the cymbals parts to a girl. Y'all, for a seventh grade boy, it got worse. I mean, it just, it just, it just kept going backwards. So I would sit through all of those rehearsals, and it finally came time for our spring, uh, spring performance. I waited through song number one. Song number two, song number three, four, five, and six. It's song number seven. I get out about 84 sheets of music, and I only have like four bars at the end, but I get it out, man. I'm reading along. I'm counting my rest. I'm, I'm waiting in my, my process. Now, I thought judgment of the Lord had not gone forth. He gave my, my symbol part to, to a girl of all, of all things and gave my part away, and, and I have no part. Folks, when it came time, 
for my little triangle part at the crescendo. Don't you know, man, I got that triangle out. I was ready. I was counting my... Nobody had to invite me to, to play my triangle. Nobody had to tell me to get ready to play my triangle. Nobody had to remind me that God was going to do it. I had been waiting. I had been in process. I had been to the rehearsals. I had shown up and read and studied the music. I knew it when it was my time. I knew it was ready. I was waiting on my time. I wish to God some of you would start believing that it's your time for God to do your thing. You've been waiting. You've been in process. And your time is coming up. We get to the part of the song. It's building. It's building. Brother Brian gets his triangle out. And I get that little bar ready. Man, when it comes time and it comes to my measure, I count two, three, four. And boy, I beat the mess out of that triangle. I'm playing that triangle for all it's worth. And can I tell you, I felt so important and so significant. The buttons on my shirt were about to bust. I'm wearing that triangle out because it's my time to play. It's my time to be a part. It's my time to fit in. It's my time. It's my time. It's my time. I don't know who I'm talking to today, but it's your time. It's your time to do your part. It's your time to sing. It's your time to dance. It's your time to walk in victory. It's your time. Play your triangle. Well, I just don't feel important at my church anymore. They've moved on and other people have stepped up. Well, maybe the step, maybe the reason some people had to step up because you had already stepped back. Maybe. Maybe it's because you weren't playing your triangle. And they just walked in and said, hey, I'm not a baritone. I'm not a trumpeter. I'm not a saxophonist. I'm not a flutist. I don't blow the clarinet. I can play a triangle. <laughs> Do your part in the kingdom of God. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to trust God for more. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to understand it all. But when it comes your time to do what you can do, God's counting on you. When the reason why I don't just evangelize and I, I choose the pastor, number one, I believe that's what God's called me to do. But the reason why I'm confirmed that he calls me that is because I love everybody in the orchestra. Because I understand not everybody can be the blaring trumpet. Not everybody can be the flautist, the flutist. Or not everybody's called to play just the saxophone or the timpani or the drums, percussion, or the xylophone. But everybody's got a niche. Everybody's got a place. And when the conductor of our lives calls us to attention to play, and when he looks back over the symphony and says, it's your time to play, you got to be ready. You got to be ready. I remember being in that band, and boy, Mr. Pretty, he had laser beams. He could look everybody in the eye. And you didn't ever wonder, is he really looking at me? Oh, yeah, you always knew he was looking at you. Even if he wasn't, you knew he was looking at you. And when he would come time, and he would take that conductor score, and he would be reading his score, and he would take that. He'd look straight at you. Ding! You'd be ready. You'd be so proud you played it on time. Like, yeah, I got you, man. I got you. Play my triangle. God's waiting on you just to do your part. I promise you, in the body of Christ, there's no, there's no part that's too small. There's no two part that's too insignificant. There's no part that's meaningless to God. You can do your part. Well, pastor, I can't sing. I can't preach. Well, if you can't sing, don't volunteer to sing. 
out loud. If you can't preach, don't volunteer to preach. If you can't teach, don't volunteer to teach. But you can do something. You can come here and turn the lights on. You can make sure the heat's on. You can make sure the parking lot's ready. You can fold a bulletin. You can send a card to somebody who didn't make it today, say, I'm praying for you. You can do something. Play your part. Do your part. Hello, this is Pastor Sturgill. We want to thank you so much for tuning in to Hope Now tonight. Just like the prophet Habakkuk, God is not finished with you or your process. So be strengthened, be affirmed and encouraged. God will do that thing in your life. Do us a favor. Listen, if you're enjoying the program, would you please contact us at 425-200-HOPE. 425-200-HOPE. Just let us know that the program is being a blessing to you. You can call or text that number. If you prefer to email, it's rscogoffice at gmail.com. Rome Street Church of God, office at gmail.com. God bless. We're praying for you. We'll see you next time.